0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. For more information about the church, you can visit us online at toledocalvary.org or follow us on social media at Toledo Calvary. Well, good morning, Calvary. Hey, grab your Bibles with me if you would, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we will be today. And I want to say thanks to Leah and her team for a great missions week and a great word last week. Thanks for leading us into a record setting year and how we are reaching the world. And uh, yeah, we celebrate that. And uh, so awesome, awesome. Well, hey, I also want to say welcome to those of you that are joining us in Auditorium 2, or maybe today you're watching online, or by way of television, or the podcast. So glad that you are with us today. Have you, ever, have you ever, like, wanted to get better at something? Maybe a skill that you have, something they're asking you to do at work, maybe just a hobby, and you're like, I, I, I want to improve at this. And if you want to get better, you can't just focus on what you do right. True? Like, you also have to go, okay, how, how can I improve right, by examining what do I need to do different? Like, what did I get wrong? What mistakes did I make? And by looking at those mistakes, it helps you improve. I'll give you a couple for instances. Like over the last few years, I've become more and more kind of engaged in uh, the cooking on my deck, right, whether that's smoking some pulled pork or trying something new out on the, on the griddle, right? I, I just, I love that. And if I go in the house and I take something new into the family, I'm going to say, okay, guys, what do you think? What could I do better? How could this be better? Because I don't want them to just, I leave the room and they're like, don't let dad do that again. <laughs> right, I don't want it to get better. I, in all honesty, like I, there's a group um, of some friends that I know I can go to, and I do almost every week after the first service, and I will say to them, okay, 815 sermon. What do we do different? How can it be better? And sometimes they're like, oh no, sir, it was perfect. And that's, uh no, that never happens. They're like, hey, you, you, this, this might be clearer. Or if you said it this way, it might be funnier. Or if you said it this way, it might be more impactful. And I'm really thankful for that, that I've got people that will help. And so when you come to 10 o'clock, you get 2.0 new and improved. And uh, don't tell 8.15 though, right? And now you're all sitting there and you're saying, my, isn't our pastor so holy? He's so humble and he's so teachable. And can I tell you, there's a lot of places in my life where I make mistakes that are none of your business, right? Anybody else? It's all of us. But at some point, we have to take a look at those places because it's only by doing that that we're able to grow and make any improvement. We're in a series of messages that we're calling reverse engineering. right? We're looking at God's word and designing the life we want to live. And we've talked about this in our faith, and we've talked about this in our work, and we've talked about this in our finances. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this in the area of our families. And we're going to talk about how can we live the life that God has designed for us? How do we design the life we want to live? And then looking at Scripture, how do we then reverse engineer this so we can live out those truths Today, in one of the areas where I think many of us have been prone and are prone to make mistakes is in the area of the relationships in our marriages. You'll often hear people say that marriage is under attack in our society. And to be honest, I think I believe it. Anybody else? Right, if you just look at the many ways in which there are questions about marriage, the definition of marriage, who can be married, it's been at the forefront of our political and our cultural debate and dialogue for many years now. We have a, um, several places in our home where there's, there's some old books that we've purchased at at uh, you know, state sales or, or whatever that are in some different places in our house. They're kinda just there for decoration and I saw one the other day that is a book on how to have a good marriage that was written in 1935. Do you know what the opening paragraphs basically say? Let me sum it up for you. Marriage is under attack. Even then, here's the deal, I think it's fair for us to say that marriage is under attack because it has always been under attack. If it wasn't under attack, then putting one of the Ten Commandments as a prohibition against adultery wouldn't be necessary. If marriage hasn't always been under attack, then much of what we read in the book of Proverbs, especially as advice to young men who are building their families that Solomon writes to his son in the book of Proverbs wouldn't be necessary. The enemy knows this, that one of the primary ways that God builds civilization, that he builds societies, that he builds salvation into generations comes through the family, doesn't it? And so if the enemy can attack our families, then he has the opportunity to stop the things that God wants to do, the things that God has designed. As recent as this week, a friend that reached out to me and said, I don't think we're going to make it. So for the next two weeks, we had originally planned for this to just kind of be one week. We are going to talk about marriage for one week. Then I looked at the message and realized that it would be about 90 minutes long, and I didn't think you would be up for that. Amen? I did not expect that much enthusiasm. And, uh, but but we're, going to, we're going to do it in two weeks, right? So we're going to look at marriage for the next two weeks. We're going to base our thoughts really off of just one verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what Paul will do from that verse on is give to us some of the most practical teaching on our relationships that we find in all of Scripture. The book of Ephesians is, is, is fun. If you've never read it, the first three chapters are all this really rich and deep theology and then the last three chapters of the book, Paul makes it super practical that if you believe the things in the first three chapters, in the last three chapters, here's how you live out your life in a very practical way. And he takes a large chunk of that to talk about our households. He talks about how we interact in our work, employers and employees. And we, we read this a few weeks ago when we talked about God's design for our work. He takes time to talk about the relationship between children and parents, and we're gonna get there in a few weeks. And he also talks about the largest chunk that he takes time to talk about are the relationships that are between a wife and a husband. He prioritizes marriage in this passage of Scripture, and he starts the whole dialogue by saying to us, submit to one another in the workplace, in your families, in your marriages. Submit to one another. And so today, we want to get better in our marriages. We want to grow in our relationships. So we're going to look at some things that maybe we could do Better. We're gonna look at four mistakes that many marriages make. The next two weeks, we'll look at two today and we'll look at two next week. Four mistakes that many marriages make and we're gonna see if there's anything we can do about them. Now look, I'm, I'm well aware that everybody that's hearing this message is not married. Some of you are single. Maybe you're single again, you're divorced or widowed. Maybe you're engaged, maybe you're hunting <laughs> maybe maybe you're hurting. And I know that this is not an easy topic for a lot of us. It can be difficult to talk about. Now, look, I've worked hard so that the things that we talk about as we talk about marriage will apply to every other area of relationship in our lives. If you'll take the principles that we look at today, you can overlay them on your relationships with your family, with your friends, with those that you work with, with those that you're trying to share your faith with. Like they they work out in the same way. But because of what we're looking at, what Paul says, we're gonna look at these things in the context of the relationship between a husband and a wife. And I know that it can be a difficult topic for a lot of us. Because even though God gives us a model for what marriage should look like, In many of our lives, that's not what it's looked like because we live in a broken world and we suffer disappointment and betrayal and hurt and confusion and things don't always go the way that we would have wanted them to. Things don't always go the way I think God would have wanted them to. So when we talk about marriage, I know it can be a difficult topic, but I still know that God's word puts for us a model for what marriage should look like And so that's what we're going to kind of lift up and look at in these next couple of weeks. Is that okay as we look at this? So we're going to look at four mistakes many marriages make. Here's the first one. Number one, mistake number one, I'm just going to call it fading fire. We're going to call this first one fading fire. Those of you that have been married for a long time, you can probably remember the, the fire of the early times in that relationship. I'm not talking about in a physical sense. I'm talking everything, emotional relationships, the communication, the, the interaction that you had, the, the joy that you had just in seeing each other. There's something that's there in that that is a flame that is inside of us. For some of you, you have every time you hear a certain song, It was your song when you were dating or it was played at your wedding and it's something that just stirs that emotion back up in each of our lives. Isn't it true though that things that are hot have a tendency to grow cold? Yes, right? Fires will go out. Your coffee will get cold. Summer turns into winter. This is a natural part of life and it's important for us to recognize this idea that God has given us marriage and he wants that flame to stay alive in our marriages. And here's, here's the reason why. I want you to see this. Marriage is designed by God to be good. Like marriage is designed by God from him. He created it to be something that is good in our lives. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Genesis chapter one, verse 10. This is the, this is the very beginning. This is the, where the story starts. This is creation. Genesis one, verse 10. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw... That it was, help me out here. He saw that it was, you're gonna see that at least six times in this passage, right? That God looks at something and he says, oh, that's good, I made that, and that's good. So because he repeats it over and over again, what stands out to us is what he says in verse 18 of Genesis chapter two. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Can I get an amen, men? Can I get an amen, women? (laughs) Yes, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So from the very beginning, what does God say? I'm making things that are good, and you know what I see that's not good? It's not good for my creation to be alone. They need something. Let me see what I can do. And so if you know the account of Adam and Eve, and you can go back and look at that in the book of Genesis and that creation account, but at the end of the sixth day, after God has created mankind and he's made them male and female and he sees what is not good and he attempts to, to fix that, he says this in Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God saw what was good, he saw what was not good, and then when he made male and female, when he created this idea of marriage, he says, well, that's very good. Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 19, verse four, haven't you read, he replied, That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And Jesus gives to us a definition here. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter what legal traditions there are. It doesn't matter what age of time you're from. Jesus gives us a definition of what marriage looks like here in this passage. Now, today's message is not about defending the institution or defining what marriage is. But I can't help but look at what Jesus says here and see some things that are important for us to point out. And and do you remember who said this here? It was pretty high authority when Jesus says it, right? And he says that marriage is designed by God to be one man and one woman whose gender God determines Committed to each other in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. And that's a pretty good definition of marriage. And, and marriage is so much more than a social contract, right? When you stand and you look at that bride or you look at that groom and you say those vows, you're not just entering into some legal agreement. When you do this, you are—it's a sacred moment. You're entering into a covenant between you. And God, why is this so important? Why is this so sacred? Because marriage is designed by God to be good. He wants it to be good. Now, we've been using kind of a graph to help us understand some of the different seasons that we find ourselves in in life. And uh, we're, we're gonna look at this again kind of over the course of these next two weeks. And we talked about how our lives go through some different kinds of seasons. And sometimes we find ourselves in a season of grace, And sometimes we find ourselves in a season of growth, and sometimes we we find ourselves in a season where things feel more flat, and sometimes we find ourselves in a place where it just seems like things in our lives are failing. Now, next week, we'll get to this idea of flat and failing, but here's what I want you to see about marriage. God has created it to be good, and as a part of this kind of season of grace, the place where he wants you to live, in a place that's filled with his blessing, in a place that's filled with his help, he wants you to live in this place of grace in our lives. He created it, he included it in the story of creation. God loves marriage, I honestly believe God loves your marriage, and he wants you to live in a place of his grace, and that those those flames, that that fire would not fade. I asked some friends, I was like, hey, what, what do you think would be important for me to talk about when we talk about this, this idea of marriage? And, and they gave me a lot of really good information. And one of the things that they stressed was this help people to remember that marriage is a gift. Because so many times what we hear is marriage is hard, it's difficult, it's a struggle, it's a challenge. And that was never God's design for marriage. Now look, we will all go through seasons. Next week, we'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. Every day is not a honeymoon. But one of my friends said, for some reason, some people think that marriage is designed to be their personal purgatory. That is not what God intended. He intended for marriage to be a gift. Here's what I want you to get. Marriage is good for you. And understand this, that there's, there's a lot of myths that are in our society. Things that people begin to believe that just truly aren't true. A lot of times people say, well, there's no real benefit to marriage or your own personal satisfaction matters more or the good of the family is not as important as your own life or that kids make your life miserable. Somebody laughed out loud in the last service when I said that. Or that religious people are just as likely to divorce as those who are non-religious And the reality is that a lot of those ideas are myths. As recent as research that's being put out just in the last week, there's been this huge study that's been done by a professor at the University of Virginia that has done research to show us that marriage is good for us. There's this popular wisdom that says that single people are happier, that single people are wealthier, that divorce is often unpreventable, and that parenthood makes you unhappy And research will show, not just within the Christian world, not just within the church, but longitudinally across all these different categories, what they found is this, that there is no single factor that better determines happiness and life satisfaction than marriage. What he says is this, get married because married people are happier. It's an interesting study and something to consider, especially when the world and the culture around us oftentimes tell us just the opposite. So I want to encourage you, live in this place of grace, which also means don't let that fire fade. So you have to ask a question, especially those of us that have been married for a while. What can cause the fire to fade? Like, what is it that can cause the fire to fade in our relationships? I'll give you just three thoughts real quick. One is that that time can cause the fire to fade in our relationships just time it's natural over time as life goes on as we get busy as our families grow as our responsibilities change through the different seasons of life it's natural that time can cause the fire to fade anyone here have been married for less than a year anybody we got anybody i don't I, oh okay 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 good in the first service there wasn't anyone and I said something that I shouldn't say, and so I'm not gonna say it in this service, but, but in the first service, I said, yeah, they're all probably s- still at home, but that I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that, so I'm not gonna say that in this service. This service, I won't say that, because it was inappropriate. I shouldn't have said it. But, but weddings are fun from the vantage point that I often have as an officiant, because I have this front row seat, especially to watch when the bride hits that center aisle when she comes walking down and the look on her face and the look on those that are there and everybody stands and there's the moment, there's music and maybe the doors open or wherever the venue is, all those things that happen. But I love to look at the groom because he's usually just starstruck in that moment and the best one's cry. Watch this big guy just so emotional in that moment. Why? Because there's something sacred about that moment when it happens. But what happens is time. And if we're not careful, that fire will begin to fade. So I talked to a few friends this week who I know have been married for 50 years or more. And I said, hey, can you help me? Tell me. If I'm gonna preach about marriage, what do people need to hear? And one of my very wise friends said, well, I got, I got three things. And he kind of told me a few stories. Let me sum it up. One, he, he said, make sure you stay patient. And he said, make sure you're quick to forgive. And then he said, don't get caught. But sometimes you just have to turn off your hearing aids. <laughs> I talked to another friend, and he said, Never forget the power of that word commitment. And he said, Make sure at least twice a day you say to your wife, I love you. Don't ever let her wonder. It's important that you keep those home fires burning. When I was probably junior high or high school, we lived kind of out in the country and for for many, many years, actually until just recently, the area that I lived in didn't have any natural gas that that ran out to it. So you had to heat your home with some other means. And so for years, we had a big oil tank in the basement that we used. And at some point, when I was like in high school, the cost of oil got pretty high, and my dad said, this is ridiculous. We're we're gonna start heating our home with wood. So we had this wood-burning stove that was in the basement and that was how we would heat our house in the, in the winter times. And as I tell that story, it sounds like I lived in the Stone Age. Does it not? It's just as I'm telling it, but it's just it's kind of how it was. And so we had this wood burning stuff. And my job, every day when I got home from school, because I would be the first one home, the first thing I was supposed to do, Chad, do it before you forget. You're going to get busy. You're going to get distracted. You're hungry. You're going to turn the TV on. The first thing you do is make sure you go downstairs and feed that fire. Make sure that fire is still burning because if we let that fire go out, there's a lot of consequences for this whole house. And we have a responsibility from God who has entrusted us with a really good thing to make sure that one of the top priorities in our lives, husbands and wives, is that we invest in our spouse, that we treasure our spouse, that we love our spouse. We'll talk next week about a little more practically how this gets played out, but that we make sure that we keep those home fires burning. Does that make sense? So, so that's one of the things, that, that time, if we're not careful, will cause the fire to fade. Here, here's another one. Let's just call it this. Tension can cause the fire to fade. If we're not careful, the tension of life will cause the fire To fade. Now we'll we'll see this more as we walk through this next week, but tension in a marriage is normal. You take two people who are not perfect and who live in a broken world, and they will sin against each other. Like there will be moments where there will be tension that will come into our marital relationships. For years, there's a there's a gentleman named Dr. John Gottman who has studied marriages and relationships for decades, and he is known for having the ability to sit with a couple for a certain period of time, and he can, with 90% accuracy, determine just from this meeting that he has with them whether or not their marriage will survive or if they'll get a divorce. Just by, just by hearing them, and actually by hearing them talk to each other, and they've asked him, why, how, what is it? And he said he's been able to determine what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? What is he looking for to see whether a marriage is going to make it or not? And he says if he sees these things, it's a pretty good sign that if something drastic doesn't happen, that marriage is on the course for an end. And he he calls these four horsemen criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, by stonewalling means like you give someone the silent treatment or you ignore them in some way. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Let me stop for just a moment. I don't think those are just good things for us to consider in our marriage relationships. Aren't those true in all of our relationships? Like if those things, just, just read the Bible, read the book of Proverbs. If those things begin to be things that work your way into your heart and into your mind, it's gonna affect whatever relationship it might be. That, that's just helpful for us to think about And so I've got to ask the question, If when the tension of life begins to come in, am I seeing those things show up? Do they look familiar? Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling? If they do, then maybe some red flags and alarm bells should be going off, that there's something that we need to do. Well, what what do I do, Chad? Well, first I'd encourage you, have you asked the Holy Spirit to help you with this? Like before you start pointing fingers at someone else, what's going on in the state of, of your own heart and then what does God's word say about these things? Like, let's, let's just think for just a moment. If you take that idea of criticism that he mentions. If you begin to see that the words that come out of your mouth are more discouraging than encouraging, if you begin to see that they're more critical than they are helpful, then maybe it's time to say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Not just in your marriage, but in any area of your life, truly. What, what does the psalmist say? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Sometimes words come out of my mouth that feel really good here, but aren't pleasing to the Lord. Anybody else? Ooh, that felt good to say. And then God says, but I didn't like it. Take this idea of contempt, this idea where you start to look at other people in a way that you have this contempt for them, especially in your marital relationship where you start to doubt that other person, where you start to question them in in ways that just aren't valid, but it's because of what's grown inside of you, then maybe it's a good time to find some passages in scripture about love. Maybe it's a good time to to read on a regular basis, 1 Corinthians 13, maybe memorize love is patient, love is kind, love, 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 what Paul teaches us there, and allow God's word to help us with that. If you find that you're getting defensive, then maybe it's a good time to say, Lord, would would you help me what we're gonna see throughout everything we talk about in these next two weeks is, is the importance of humility and saying, God, will you help me not to be so defensive, but like Jesus, to be willing to humble myself. And then this idea of stonewalling, maybe the next time you try to ignore someone, the Holy Spirit might remind you of, you remember the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't you hate it when scripture ruins your fun? These are some things that are good for us to think about in these moments. Well, that's good preaching, preacher. I bet that'll help a lot of people. But you don't know who I'm married to. They ain't changing. They're not repentant. And they're no fun to be around. Look, when you read scripture, God never asks you about them. He talks to you about you. And he wants to make sure that your heart is right. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we kind of dig in next week. Let me me give you one other good thing for us to consider here. What can cause the fire to fade? Well, time can cause the fire to fade and tension will cause the fire to fade. And I'll, I'll give you this one too, a third one. Trust can cause the fire to fade. Trust can cause the fire to fade in my interactions over the years with, with couples who have um, sought help in some way, we said, hey, our marriage is going through a rough patch, do you think we could maybe come in and talk, is that they will oftentimes come in and sit down with a pastor, and there's three things that come to the surface. Usually the issues that they're facing usually come in one of three categories, and oftentimes more than one, sometimes all three, in their finances, in their family, or in their physical intimacy, I could just say sex, but it sounds better to say family finances and physical intimacy. Doesn't that sound like I'm more classy if I say it that way? But it's one of those three areas that they'll say, hey, we have an issue in our lives in in these, and here's what I've come to learn. Those are usually just symptoms. They're usually not the issue. What is the underlying issue usually comes out in family or finances or conflict regarding sex, but the actual disease is usually not those things. Those are just a symptom. The disease, oftentimes, I, I can categorize it usually in, in one of three ways. Oftentimes, it's just plain old selfishness. Right? And we'll look at this as we as we go through this even more next week, but this idea of selfishness. The second one, oftentimes, it's this idea of contempt. That at some point, we begin to get this attitude towards our spouse that is not filled with goodwill. Instead, it's it's absent of love, and it's more like contempt. The third one, though, and this is the one that I think is really fitting as we talk about this, is this idea of there's a lack of trust. That somewhere, somehow, your, your spouse lost trust in you. And if that's the case, it's really hard for those fires to burn. Maybe it was through unfaithfulness. Maybe it was through words that were said in a, in a moment of tension Maybe it was just too many times that you didn't take the garbage out. <laughs> and that escalated into things that weren't petty but became really unhealthy. And now that relationship is at a place where for it to move forward, it's gonna mean regaining that trust. If, if you're the one that finds yourself in that place, can I just give you a word of encouragement? Do whatever it takes to regain that trust. Like you take those steps, you choose. It's gonna take humility. It's gonna take longer than you think it should. It's gonna take you being willing, maybe on more than one occasion, to walk through a process of repentance depending on the intensity of the, of the way that maybe you have lost that trust. But can I tell you whether it's, getting rid of all secrets or telling them all your passwords or it's making sure that you communicate in a way that you're not used to communicating. Even if you feel like this is taking longer than it should, you be willing to do whatever it takes to regain that trust. It's like when you go through a tunnel, isn't it? When you go through a tunnel, it's dark and you're not sure what's on the other side And oftentimes it seems like it takes longer than it should, but the only way for you to get back out into the sunlight is for you to go through that tunnel. Does that make sense? And sometimes that's what it takes to rebuild that trust. Can I also say this to the person who maybe has has lost trust? Don't forget that God is a God of forgiveness. And I honestly believe I've seen it happen so many times where just the right time the Holy Spirit is able to do this this work of forgiveness that brings restoration and healing. But both parties have to be open to that and allowing God to bring that and to bring trust back into that relationship. Now, let me just be real, kind of practical and honest about where we're at. For some of us, as we talk about these things, especially kind of the the way that the fire can fade with time or tension or trust, there's many of us that go, I've got some regrets. (laughs) I know I haven't always done it right. There's things I can tell you just writing a message like this this guy's got to say there's there's things that, that I've not done right there's things that, that need to change even in my own heart here's what I want you to know if you're if you're sitting there and some of this is hard to hear number 1 god forgives aren't you glad for that that he forgives us and your marriage mistakes are not unpardonable sins and second you can't go back and change the past so what do you do you start where you're at today you start moving forward in the ways today that you know that you need to. My question is, is the fire fading? And if it is, are you willing to do something about it? Just as a, as a quick aside, we, we wanna help as much as we can as a church. That's why we had just talked about the young and married retreat that's coming up. That's a great opportunity for those of you that are under 40, to maybe take a, a step to, to see that fire renewed. Things like our women's conference is a great opportunity to kind of grow, for the ladies, but to, to kind of grow in some of those areas. There's, there's counseling and resources. There's, there's things like if you're not familiar with Right Now Media, you can go out to our website and there's all kinds of studies that are there. Just click on the media tab, go to Right Now Media all kinds of studies that are there to help a couple that you, can, that you can walk through, video things that you can walk through together. We have a class that meets on Wednesday nights, one on parenting and one specifically on marriage, and you can find out more about that if you go out to our website and take a look there to help with this idea. Here's the first mistake. It's fading fire. Are you ready for the second one? This is one of those messages where you're all either just real quiet or real sleepy. Don't let me know which one it is. Are you ready for the second one? All right, here we go. Number two, back to Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the second mistake that we sometimes make. Mistake number two, it's keeping score. Number two, it's keeping score. Again, this is not just true in marriage relationships. What does Paul say about all these relationships? He says, submit to one another. It's this idea of mutual Submission, and before he starts talking to anybody specifically, he talks to all of us generally, and he tells us that we are to serve one another. What's the opposite of serving one another? When we keep score of how we're being served. The reality is it is a mistake to keep score of being served. If you're busy counting and keeping score the ways that maybe you've served better or someone hasn't served you, if you've got a list of those things, That's a big mistake in marriage, and it can be disastrous. In fact, that's one of the things that I would say, if you want your relationship to grow to a place of health, this is key that you don't let this idea of keeping score become something that fills your your reality. The the truth is, right right over here, so many of us are quick to want to keep track of how we've been served, when what's a whole lot better is if we would just keep in mind how we're serving Not what's been done to us, but have we been faithful with what God has called us to do? Which leads us, I think for these next few moments, to everybody's favorite part of the discussion of marriage in Scripture. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about the S word. Submission. Today, we're going to look at the passage that Paul gives to us in Ephesians chapter 5 and he talks about this very loaded word especially in our culture in our day and time when he talks about submission in the marital relationship i didn't write the letter i just deliver the mail okay let's look at what he says ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 first he hones in on the females he says for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the lord for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to him, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Isn't that every wife's favorite verse? Can I get an amen? That's what I thought. <laughs> right? What does he mean? What's he talking about? What does he mean when he says, submit to your husbands in everything. It's, it's a loaded word, let's just be honest. But I love the way John Stott is a, is a kind of a world-famous theologian. He he wrote about this, and look what he said about this passage. The wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up to somebody. What does it mean to love? It is to give oneself up for somebody. And I love that definition of it because remember, Paul's not talking just to ladies to submit. He says all of us are to submit in this passage of scripture. And the picture that's there is this, submission is you love someone, and if you love someone, you give fully of yourself to them. So let me give you just a couple of thoughts about what it is not. Because over time, this scripture has been misused. So much so that I think for a lot of us in our Bibles, we'd love to be able to highlight it and then just click cut and then just delete it and never paste it anywhere else. Let's just get rid of this part. But it's beautiful if you look at what Paul is saying here. And what he's not saying is that, wives, you're a slave. And by no means is this license for abuse. Like if, you, if you find yourself in an unhealthy or abusive place, can I tell you this? That is not God's design. He wanted marriage to be good. And if you find yourself in an abusive place... And we can help. Please find someone from our team. We do not want you to stay in that place. And men, can I talk to you for, for, for just a moment? That passage of scripture there about submission was never intended by Paul to be a weapon. Do you know what really honestly angers me as a pastor is the number of times that I hear men who take that scripture and twist it so that they can then say to their wives, see woman, you're supposed to submit to me. That is not God's intention at all. In fact, Fellas, let me show you. What he meant was just the opposite. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. Can I give that to you in the Chad Gilligan version? Is that all right? That whole passage says this, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, die for your wives. Give yourself completely for her. Why why husbands? Why is that the, the place that's there? Because in any healthy that god has created there is someone who is the leader and in god's design he has called the husband to lead not so you get a power kick because anything that is healthy has some level of responsibility and accountability doesn't it like think about it you think of any just take any professional sports team they will have not just one coach but a series of coaches and those coaches figure out where their strengths are and how they can work together to make that team successful And they give and take and they submit and they trust each other and they work together to lead their team to victory. But at some point, if something is not right with that team, do you know who's responsible? It's the head coach. You know who's going to get fired? It's the head coach in those moments. And fellas, God has called us to be responsible for our homes. Not so you get a power kick, but because someday you and I are going to stand before him and answer for how we've led. Does that make sense? So this is why Paul says this to us. Go back to the, the can I tell you this real quick? Like, like Paul also says this. He says, men, you are to treasure your spouse. You're not to see them as someone that is just subservient to you. You are to treasure them. Ladies, if you are looking for someone to be your husband and they don't treasure and serve you, keep looking. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right, I think that's huge. And Paul says, or excuse me, Peter says this. He says, guys, do not be harsh with your wives. He tells us to treasure them and love them. Back to Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's a synopsis. In marriage, the wife and husband set aside themselves and mutually submit to each other in respect and sacrificial love. In marriage, the wife and husband set aside themselves and mutually submit to each other in respect and sacrificial love. Next week, and, and, and Please, I don't usually say this, but don't miss next week because, because there's, a, there's a second side to all of this. Like We're going to unpack this more next week where it all just kind of makes sense into a bigger picture. But oftentimes I'll hear people say, marriage is 50-50. And can I tell you, that's bad advice. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. It might not be good arithmetic, but it sure is good relationship math. And the reality is, when I'm willing to give 100% of myself And when the spouse is willing to give 100% of themselves, that's when the relationship works. That's how God designed it. Well, that's good preaching, preacher. But you don't know what they're like. He's not very worthy of my respect. She ain't easy to love. What do you want me to do about that? I don't want you to lie but I want you to be obedient, what'd Paul say? Submit to one another out of reverence to who? Christ, he's the one that we will answer to. He's the one who we love through our marriages. Even in those seasons when it's not easy, and can I, can I caution you, marriage becomes a battleground when we are busy keeping score. Your marriage becomes a battleground if you find yourself busy keeping score. It, selfishness is a killer, right? And if you are always keeping score, where do we keep score? Ah, uh, maybe it's a, who, who does more in the kitchen or, or who takes care of the kids or we, we choose areas like sex or our work or our words or our sarcasm or negativity and we keep score in those places and we see who serves each other and I use that word battleground because on a battleground, the whole point is that someone has to win and someone has to lose and when you get that mindset in your marriage, it is destructive. Let's just be honest. Conflict is going to happen. I don't know how they measure this, but the experts say that 69% of all conflict, especially in a marriage, 69% of all conflict is unsolvable. Do you know why? Because there's no clear right or wrong. It's just based on your personality. One of you likes it this way. One of you likes it that way. Who's wrong? Nobody. Nobody. It's just in those places, we have to find places of compromise, and we have to love, and we have to serve. Nothing derails a marriage like selfishness. So don't be afraid to let the Holy Spirit help you to forgive. The Holy Spirit help you to be humble, because you know this, no team wins when they're busy playing against each other. No team wins when they're busy playing against each other. I tell a story just about every time that I do premarital counseling um, I, think, I think I've told it before, maybe you've heard it of a, of a time when our kids were playing like, like rec ball, like they were, they were little, like kindergarten age, and playing like basketball in the YMCA. And there's no, there's no real structure to those leagues. Kids just kinda go out there and run around, and they don't keep score. Do the parents keep score? You better believe they do, because I want everybody to know my kid beat your kid. Can I get an amen? And I remember one game in particular, one of our, one of our boys was out there and um, the kids are all you know under the basket and the kid throws up the ball and, and it bounces off the rim and kind of bounces around and it doesn't go in and it's on its way back down. And my boy, that's right, my boy reached up strong, got that ball, brought it down and immediately put that ball back up bounced it off the backboard just the way he'd been taught and it went right through the hoop of the other team's basket. <laughs> and I'm excited, standing on my feet, and everybody else in the stands is looking at me going, "Is that your boy?" That's your boy that just scored a point for the other team. How many times in marriage are we so focused on ourselves? and what we can do and how we can win that we end up scoring against, sinning against the very person that God has called us to treasure and to love. You're not on different teams. You're on the same team. Then why is it so hard sometimes, Chad? Why is it so difficult for me to extend grace? Why is it so hard for me to serve? Why is it so hard? for me to love. Do you know what I've found is so many times it has nothing to do with that relationship you have with that other person. It's not horizontal, it's vertical. Until we are confident in who we are in Jesus, it's hard for us to serve anybody, spouse, friend, neighbor, co-worker, do you know what I'm talking about? But what did Jesus do? Jesus literally, actually modeled this by dying for his bride. He gave his life on the cross so you and I could know forgiveness Look, if you wanna be able to give freely to other people, you can never give freely when you're holding on too tight. It is only until you humble yourself and say, God, will you help me, that that relationship can move forward. Some of you find yourself in a place where literally you look at your marriage and you go, only God can help us. And the truth is, he's in the restoration business. Jesus modeled that for us, but please know this, Look at the cross, restoration always begins with sacrificial servanthood. And if you're gonna see God work in your marriage, it'll only start if you're willing to say, God, I serve you as I serve my spouse. So can I ask you to stand with me today, if you would please. And um, we'll we'll pray here in just a, a few moments with regards to what we've talked about today like i said everything we talked about today applies in so many other areas of our lives and some of us we're having a hard time trusting god we're holding on tight and it's hard for us to serve him or anybody else because we haven't trusted in him so we're going to sing a song these next few moments that simply says i trust in god i loved when we sang that song earlier that says and i throw up my hands and i praise him and that that might be a new step for some of you Maybe the very best thing we can do in these next few moments when we sing those words, I trust in God, would literally be to lift our hands and to look towards heaven and say, God, I trust in you. And so, Father, in these next few moments, we put our confidence, our hope, our trust completely in you, in
1: Jesus' name, amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. in his blood and what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. My trust in God, I trust in God, my Savior. Savior, the one who will never fail, he will never fail. Come on, her voice, I saw the Lord.
0: online or watching by television maybe you're in auditorium too right here in this room and you're you're with your spouse maybe maybe you're engaged to be married and you're not married yet or maybe you've been married for decades and decades and your spouse is there would you would you take their hand or put an arm around them or Rhonda would you mind just walking over here because it's not good for the man to be alone <laughs> I don't know I don't know what's going on right but I'm gonna guarantee you for every marriage, there's some place where you gotta say, God, I trust in you. God, we put this in your hands. Lord, we trust in you. Like, don't miss this moment and don't let this be the only moment where this happens. But let's pray, Father, we come to you. Lord, you've given us the gift of marriage because you said it's good. And Lord, for many of us, we need to be reminded to keep that fire burning. Lord, do not let those things that come in life cause us to lose the great value and the treasure that you've given us in our spouse. So Lord, I pray that there would be something divinely spiritual that would happen, supernatural and restorative in relationships represented by those hearing this message today. God, that you would let new fires burn again of the goodness of the marriage that you've given to us. And Lord, would you help us not to keep score? Would you help us not to be the one who tries to win? But instead, Lord, would we see that you've called us in every season to serve on the same team, not to keep score, but instead to serve one another. And Lord, for some of us, that's that's gonna mean coming to you and trusting you. That's gonna mean repentance. That's gonna mean putting things in your hands. That's gonna mean letting go. That's gonna mean humbling ourselves, but taking steps so that our marriages would model for our families, for our children, for the world around us, what God has called and created us to be. Lord, would you do works of forgiveness? God, would you do works of healing? God, in this moment, would you do works of provision and restoration and discernment and clarity? That only you can do, Lord. As we trust in you, in Jesus' name, Lord, would you bless our marriages with your special favor and with your wonderful peace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, look don't don't miss next week, right? What we what we talked about today is not complete. We're, we only made about halfway through that little verse. So come back next week. Invite somebody with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for being here.